Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Let's go to Alaska today. Why? Well, one, it's a beautiful place. Number two, a little more pertinent, it's the fifth largest oil producer in America. Number three, and the real reason we're going, they got a Senate race going down in 2022. And my guest today is the Republican nominee for that seat, Kelly Chewbacca. And is it really Chewbacca? It really is. That's the force awesome. is with us. <laughs> that, that's awesome. My uh, my brother Kenny's a big, huge Chewbacca fan, so I got him a life size cutout for a birthday or something, and I think that's his most treasured possession. So I mean, everybody loves Chewbacca, but the story is even better. I married into this name, so when I was in law school, they give us assigned seats, which is you know a little bit patronizing. But I saw this guy's name and I was like, man, brutal name. (laughs) (laughs) And we went around the room and he said his name and I kind of giggled because I was like, turns out my husband's family is from Africa. He had no idea he had a Star Wars name. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever because I was like, he, he didn't giggle. He didn't understand why some of us were giggling. And his actual full name is Jean-Christian Kanikiwa Shabaka. And he said it like that. He says, but you can call me Nikki. And I thought, oh, poor guy. You know, no one can say his <laughs> name here in America. So I learned how to say his name. And that's probably why I won the guy. But it turns out his dad actually grew up raised by a single mom, five kids in a mud hut in the rainforest of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he came over here on a scholarship and went and got his degree and his business degree and learned English all in four years. And then he ended up becoming one of the top executive vice presidents of Citibank. And so we're one of those blended families that absolutely defies this critical race theory nonsense that's infiltrating our public school system that tells us that, you know, there's systemic racism and the entire system is rigged to keep whites in dominant power and all white people see everything with racism perpetually all the time. And blacks can't possibly succeed in America. And the answer is just our family story completely defies that. And I just refuse to let anyone, especially an authority figure, put on my children, who are all African Americans, that there's more obstacles to life than the ones that they actually face. And so our our family story is just one of those unique American dream stories. You know, my take on critical race theory is it's probably if if. I have a dear friend named Seth who was teacher of the year in Colorado, as liberal as they come, but dear, dear friend, if Seth was teaching critical race theory to my children, what it purports to be, I'd be okay with that. I mean, we definitely need to know the history of of racism in, in the United States. We do have to own that. And I'd be very comfortable. It's just being used as a tool and it's not what it purports to be. I mean, that that's the real problem. So, uh, I mean, to, to run around and tell a seven-year-old that they're in a certain bucket is just wrong. And they can't get out of it. And that yeah. their mom is evil because she's white. My daughter wrote a great essay on it. She said, what side of the classroom do I sit on again? 
I think you forgot that we went through the 80s and we bought into what Martin Luther King Jr. said, that we were looking at content of character, not color of skin. And most of us are either in blended families or are one or two steps removed from blended families. And we don't really divide on these black and white lines anymore. So we need to move into and contend for a society that is more um, integrated and doesn't want to stay in racist lines. So you and I have never met. We have a, a good friend in common, and he's like, you got to meet my friend, uh, Kelly. Uh, she's amazing, really smart, an achiever. Why in God's name would you want to run for the Senate? <laughs> <laughs> what did Mark Twain said? America's only perpetual criminal class. I mean, <laughs> All fair points. You know, when normal people who want to be left alone start running for U.S. Congress, it's because there's a problem. And I think that's what we're seeing, you know, when people with courage and common sense are rising together across the country to lead our nation forward. It's because it's time for a change and we're at a turning point. But here's a little bit about my story. Back in the 70s, my parents moved to Alaska with a great plan and hope and time for opportunity and adventure, but life didn't go according to plan. And sometimes it just doesn't. And they ended up homeless and they were living under a tarp for many months in a park in Anchorage. My dad had served in Vietnam, so he was able to pick up a maintenance job at a telephone utility where he worked till he retired. My mom was able to get an oil job. She was one of the first Alaskans up at Prudhoe Bay when we started the pipeline. And that oil job changed the course of our whole family story. They were able to fight their way into working class, get a starter home, a little fixer-upper that was my home, and give me a totally normal Alaska childhood, hunting, fishing, playing ice hockey, you name it. I was the first in our family to pursue a college degree. I started at the University of Alaska and then went to Texas A&M. And then I interned for Senator Ted Stevens. And he said, hey, you should go to law school. It was a great idea. It ended up being a really rough idea, but that's where I met my <laughs> husband. And that was the best part of law school, hands down. The rest of it was just great preparation for running for U.S. Senate, honestly. And then after that, you know, we were the post 9-11 class. And so my husband ended up getting a law firm job in D.C. I can't think of a single Alaskan who wants to move to Washington, D.C. They did want to stay married. So that's how I ended up in D.C. And I got picked up at an office at the Department of Justice whose job it is to hold insiders accountable and shrink government and reduce costs and expose waste, fraud and abuse. Think of it like the anti-swamp or like a bureaucracy whisperer office. And that's what I got trained to do. And I had some fantastic cases, one that went all the way to the US Supreme Court that held Department of Justice officials responsible for violating Americans' constitutional rights. I got hooked and I did that for several federal agencies, even becoming the chief data officer for the Inspector General at the Postal Service. And then I came home and I did that for the state of Alaska government for state agencies. That's my background. My husband, in the meantime, started a business. We also started a faith-based organization that raises up leaders, and we have five kids. That's what we do. That's our story. You know, we can tell you what's causing that, just in case you're curious. <laughs> yes. Um, when you have five kids, that means that at least one of them was not expected. It's just going to just be straight up. <laughs> they were about blessings. That. They're All blessings. Blessing. As I like to say, two out of uh, my three kids are blessings. So Yes. And yeah. I bet that those blessings change on any given day. <laughs> yeah, I've so, gotten to the I've gotten to the point where whenever I'm talking to one of them, I always say, "I love you more than your other two sisters." You know, I'm just <laughs> keep them guessing, right? Yes, exactly. 
Yeah. So I, you know, that's our story. And people say, you know, if we elect you, how do we know you won't be like other politicians? And I say, look, I've investigated government officials for 20 years. You are what your record says you are. They do what they've always done. We usually just don't see their record. I really believe government's supposed to work for people. And that's what I've spent my career doing. And I really believe in family and I really love our community. And if you know my story, what I just told you, you know, we're an Alaska made family. We are only here because of opportunities in Alaska and because Alaskans came around my family when we needed help the most, they fought for us. And that's what takes us to this year. So check, I was watching television back in January, February, and I was screaming a lot. Maybe some people can relate to that, yelling at your television from your sofa because of what people in the Beltway in DC are doing. And in particular, Lisa Murkowski made a couple decisions that cost our state billions and honestly cost America billions. We were on the cusp of an energy boom and she shut it down single-handedly by being the deciding vote to push forward Deb Holland, who is advancing Joe Biden's energy annihilating agenda against America. But that was my mom's job. That was the job that changed our family story. And well, Alaskans should just be able to work good jobs, put roofs over our head and, you know, send your little kid to college if you want. And Lisa Murkowski killed that. And she did it by saying, I'm probably going to regret this. I regretted confirming Sally Jewell under Obama's administration because she broke promises to me and it hurt Alaskans. And I think you're going to hurt Alaskans too. But despite that, I'm going to confirm you anyway. That's a DC insider who's not fighting for us, but fighting against us. And I just decided, you know what? There's more expected of me as a daughter of Alaska and a daughter of a Vietnam vet than yelling at my soap from my sofa. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to fight for the Alaskans who fought for me. I'm going to fight for the country and fight for the freedom that my dad fought for. And that's what compelled me to get in this race. No, that's that's important. Um, I went to college with Glenn Youngkin, the governor-elect now of uh, Virginia. And I don't care what anybody says. Glenn's a good dude. He just is. Uh, you know, you don't change your stripes that much from college. You know, I've I've seen him a few times since college. The thing that got me was listening to folks say he's dangerous. He's a racist. He's, you know, bad for America. He's out to hurt poor people. And it's just shocking that we've gotten to this point in America that that is the discourse. I mean, at the end of the day, I think you know, you can say, hey, I favor markets, you favor government. It's, you know, we all want the same thing, a little better off for our children, et cetera. And to see the the radical attack. So, I mean, we've known each other 10 minutes now. I actually kind of like you now. And so I, I'm, I'm fearing for you that this is, <laughs> this is going to happen to you. And uh, hopefully we can get past it. It brings me to something I want to talk about. So you have fully embraced Donald Trump. I mean, he endorsed you. Uh, I'm surprised you don't have a MAGA hat on. Um, but other Republicans have had to dance around the issue in terms of Donald Trump. How do you think about that? How do you navigate what we'll call kind of, kind of the Donald Trump issue? So in Alaska, we have values like talk straight. I actually think it's an American value. We're tired of what we perceive as politicians who sugarcoat things and dance around things. So let's talk straight. In Alaska, we voted for Trump twice and he won by double digits. And Donald Trump has been the best president for Alaska that we've ever had. He got things done that nobody else has gotten done. He opened Anwar, for example. We've been fighting for that for decades. 
He was great for our military. We have one of the highest percentage populations of military and vets than any place in our nation. We are on the border of national security interests for the nation. We're closest to all of the Eastern nations, if you think about it, than any other state in our country. He was great for our oil development, our rare earth mineral development. He opened up the Tongass. It's the largest national forest in America, and it's in our southeast part of Alaska. He was fantastic for policy. He also appointed common sense judges to the bench who actually protect our constitutional rights, not like activist judges that are eroding our constitutional rights, the ones that Lisa Murkowski supported and have been shutting down things that are essential for the life and health of Alaskans. We even see right now there's a bill in Congress that's you know imminently going to be passed where just on the allegation that an active duty military person or retiree is dangerous without any due process, they're going to come and take away their guns. This is alarming and it's outrageous. These are the people who put their life on the lines to defend our constitutional rights. And we are going to unilaterally violate their Second Amendment rights. And right now, Chuck, we've been defining dangerous really broadly. The president says that if you choose not to get a shot, then you're part of the pandemic. And a former CIA director has said that if you supported Donald Trump, then you're part of the Taliban. You're like a terrorist. And now we're going to start taking away military personnel's guns for it. This is what Donald Trump did for us. And we understand that. In fact, I'm here in Fairbanks right now. And I've got someone I met who said, anybody can see. If you look at same period last year, America is doing a lot worse right now than it did last year. I don't hear a lot of people talking about the eight women who've made sexual harassment or rape allegations against Joe Biden. We don't hear a lot about that. No one talks about Tara Reid or the fact that her mom made a contemporaneous phone call into the Larry King show to say, this happened to my daughter. We just sort of brush all of those issues under the rug. And all these people jumped on the Joe Biden train for the 2020 election. In Alaska, we're really focused on policy. Right now, our whole state shut down. We're losing jobs left and right. We've got companies moving out of the state. We have huge issues with our economy, huge issues with constitutional rights. We're really concerned about the immigration issue at the border. And so these are the things that we're looking at when we say we're really glad when President Trump was president. And we're really concerned that Joe Biden is our president now. And. I'm on record as having said, you know, I don't like Donald Trump's tactics, but I understand them. I mean, this is I, I disapproved of him when Ted Kennedy used to do this. I mean, the the confirmation hearings on Clarence Thomas and, you know, Ted Kennedy rambling on about, you know, a land of back back alley abortions, et cetera. And just the character assault we uh, we saw I told Democrats, you know, my Democratic friends that say we really hate Donald Trump. I'm like, well, you kind of earned him. I mean, you know, Republicans are tired of getting beat up. You know, if you wanted to act like a bunch of gentlemen and sit around and discuss things thoughtfully, happy to do it. But you don't do that. So you're going to wind up with a Donald Trump uh, type person, even though I despise uh, kind of the tactics. It's just not my personality. The other thing I've got to give Trump credit for, and I was totally wrong, I was a big free trade guy. I mean, I always have been. I, I tend way more libertarian than I do Republican. In fact, I've only voted for the libertarian candidate for president my whole entire adult life. Um, but um, I was wrong about that. I mean, all we got to do is go through one pandemic and you can't get an N95 mask because they're all made out of China. I think Donald Trump, there's something to the protectionism. 
And kind of the final thing that I see you tapping into as you talk that I think Trump tapped into that people can't be dismissive of is there is truly a sense of economic, call it abandonment, if you will, that truly Mm. people out there don't feel like the American dream applies to them anymore. And this is even interesting to take it another step. And Trump tapped into that. No question. It's interesting because you see it on the right. The same folks that are equally fighting on the left, if you took away kind of uh, the names, their messages are very similar. It's this sense of, of loss that the American dream doesn't apply for to them, they're being passed by. The sense of that happens is not a right or left issue. It's an American issue that, that's, that he tapped into. Are you tired of relying on landmarks, smoke signals, and pump jacks to get to location? When you do use apps such as Google Maps, Waves, or Apple, they only get you in close proximity to the well site location, but figuring out how to get to location also comes with its own headaches of navigating lease roads. And if you're a dispatcher managing a fleet, how do you show your drivers exactly where to go to get there? Getting lost while driving to location is a common theme in our industry. Navigating through unnamed lease roads and gravel roads can be frustrating and brutal. In our industry, where time's money, getting lost is anything but efficient and acceptable. In fact, oilfield workers say they spend on average 20 minutes a day lost on lease roads, if not hours. That sound familiar? I got some game-changing news for you right here, so listen up. Wellsite Navigator is introducing the new technology you've been asking for, lease road navigation. They've already mapped over 19,000 miles of oilfield lease roads that don't appear anywhere else, and every week they're adding more. Wellsite Navigator is the most trusted, most downloaded oilfield app of all time. Founded almost 10 years ago as the first navigation app for the oilfield, they've helped more than 100,000 oilfield hands find millions of well sites in 22 states, quickly, safely, and reliably. Most of their users come from word of mouth, so help spread the word. They're given all Chuck Yates needs a job listeners their first month free when you click the link in the show notes. Plus, when you refer a friend, they get their first month free and you get a $10 gift card. Follow the link in our show notes to get started. Make your life easier. It seems like we've really become Americans versus the political elite, or what we kind of feel up here is Americans versus leftists. There's this very large collective sense of we've been forgotten and we are unheard. And it doesn't matter to anybody who has power who can actually help us. And I think what I hear you expressing is people felt heard by President Trump. And some of the way he expressed himself, I mean, if you've been in the downtown part of New York, Bronx, Brooklyn, you know, Manhattan, he sounds like a Northeasterner, you know, and you, you mentioned Ted Kennedy too, same part of the country, right? And so for those who are familiar with that, you're like, yeah, he's, that's the personality that you see, you know, it was Chris Christie style, right? It's the same kind of personality. It's not a universal American personality, but what his policy reflected and some of what his talking points reflected 
is what is in Americans' hearts. It's the um, we stand up for the working class. We stand up for the parents who want to be involved in their children's education. Now that we see what's happening in school, we stand up for the students who are using their voices and are getting involved. We stand up for the people who want their jobs back. They're not looking for handouts. They just want opportunity. We, we're standing up for Americans and their freedom and their opportunities to say, you know what, I want to have a say in what goes in my body. We're standing up for just sort of these basic fundamental American ideas, American constitutional rights. We don't think that the Constitution is an old relic document that we can take or leave. You know, as Joe Biden said, we actually think it's important and that our politicians are supposed to have taken an oath to uphold and defend it. And we aren't in favor of this political elite that keeps imposing its autocratic will on us anymore. We believe that we are a people that have a government, not a government that has a people. And so I think that, especially the elections yesterday, you know, you mentioned um, now Governor Youngkin, he didn't have a problem being affiliated with Trump is what that election showed us. Terry McAuliffe ran an election that tied Glenn Youngkin to Trump. And Glenn Youngkin won in a blue state. And I think the point is, Joe Biden has turned a lot of people back to President Trump saying, those policies, those actually worked for America. And what Joe Biden's running is a leftist elite government solutions. Apparently, they don't think that's an oxymoron um, driven platform. And America is just categorically rejecting that. There are Americans across this country with common sense and courage that are rising together to lead us forward. And Glenn Youngkin's one of them. And the people who showed up to vote, you know, a lot of independents, I think even common sense Democrats, to your point, they just can't align with Joe Biden and this leftist agenda. The political elites like Lisa Murkowski, she's his chief enabling officer. Anything he needs done in the Senate, she'll push through. She even helped break the filibuster yesterday to push through this sham legislation that masquerades as protecting voting rights when all it does is centralize power for elections in the hands of the D.C. elite so they can maintain control. That's the kind of stuff that I see America just categorically rejecting. So give me the two or three things the day after you're sworn in in office will be presumptuous. Um, you're up 20 <laughs> points in the poll. So we'll go ahead and and uh, and what are the first two or three things you're looking to do policy-wise, but I'm going to put this framework on you. You're going to have to do that in the face of President Biden, but I do think the Republicans will have the Senate and the House. Yeah, that's right. And so we have to be realistic about what you can get done. And also there's value in just proposing things or stating things because it causes conversation and movement even if you can't get them done. My number one priority is jobs, 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 jobs. We've got to revive our economy across America and the main industry in America or in Alaska is our resource industry. So that's oil, it's gas, it's minerals, it's timber, it's our fishing industry. So much of that resource industry right now in the name of environmental protection, Biden has outsourced to countries that are horrible for the environment. Iran and Iraq, who aren't part of the Paris Climate Accord, don't have any environmental standards, are national security threats to us. They've taken most of Alaska's oil production from us. 
Russia, China didn't even bother coming to the climate summit this this uh, recent event that they just had. They've taken minerals, they've taken oil from us. So we need to get back to the policies that Trump was was pursuing, which made us energy independent or energy sufficient, whatever words you want to use, to your point where we're not waiting for ships to come in so that we can power our homes and power our cars and power our companies. So we've got to definitely change that around so that we can get back to having jobs in Alaska. We've got to get new lines of industry in Alaska too. So those are things I'll be focusing on first. Second, we need to advocate for our rights. So anything that is infringing on our Second Amendment rights, it says it shall not be infringed. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. If you don't like it, change the amendment. Um, so if there's anything right now, like this defense appropriation bills clause that's going to you know, take away the guns of our military personnel, we've had multiple attempts from Biden just this year infringing on those rights. We've also got these mask mandates. You know, there's no legal precedent for a president to have a mandate. We have executive orders, we have laws, et cetera. But what he's doing right now trumps several congressional laws that protect the rights of employees, protect the rights of our workers to have some legal exemptions for reasons to have shots put in your body that you don't agree with. So we need to advocate for that. I'm really concerned about the administrative discharges of our military personnel who don't want to get this shot. And so if there's some way that we can reinstate benefits or reinstate pay for people who've been wrongly discharged, I want to pursue that. We need to advocate for the rights of our people. This is a civil rights issue across our country and protecting the rights of the people, protecting the rights of that are protected in the Constitution is something that the Senate is obligated to do. And similarly on that, protecting the rights of our state. So um, we've got a lot of public lands that need to be transferred to especially our Western states. And I'd like to advocate for that so we can maintain resource development and we can we don't have to live on government handouts. We can actually develop our own resources. I think that'd be great. Third thing is reforming health care. With Obamacare in place, it is killing Alaska. And I imagine it's hurting other states as well. Now, we can't take care of our vulnerable. We can't take care of providers. We can't take care of businesses. And our vets are hurting too. I want to take a look at all of that and see what we can do to reform healthcare to get it back to working. So we've got a couple of minutes left and it's probably a whole podcast, but can you briefly explain to me the cockamamie voting thing that's going on with Alaska and how you're actually going to be elected? <laughs> I tried to read it. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I will try and say it very simply. I'm really encouraged about our prospects because we have rallied so much of the base in Alaska behind us. So this is how it works. Next August, we will go in and there will be an unlimited number of people on my ballot, let's say 20 to 30. But that doesn't mean that they've all actually been running for our office. There will only be a couple people whose names people will know. So be me and Lisa Murkowski, there is a Democrat that's about to jump in, highly funded from Chuck Schumer. He thinks he can buy the seat, et cetera. Everyone will vote for one person. The four people who get the most votes, it doesn't matter what party they're from, will go to November. Here's some important information to know. In Alaska, in our statewide elections, we always vote Republican. The Republican Party does not like that their Republican primary got taken away. So they used party rules to officially censure Murkowski. She is not allowed to run as a Republican in this upcoming election. She will have to choose another designation. And then they officially endorsed me. So I am the Republican candidate. I've already won the Republican primary, if you will, for this election. 
So the Republican on the ballot will be me. Come November, I'll have to face Lisa in the final election. So it'll be me, Lisa, a very highly funded Democrat, and probably a libertarian candidate. That looks just like Dan Sullivan's ballot last November. He's our other Republican senator. Dan Sullivan got 54% of the vote. Donald Trump got 53.5% of the vote with a 10-point lead over Joe Biden. And then we have a Republican governor. We have a Republican congressman. You get the data in Alaska. The first candidate in November to cross the 50% line, just 50, wins. Lisa Murkowski has never had 50% of the vote in Alaska ever in the 20 years she's been in the Senate since her dad appointed her to the Senate seat. And she is at an all-time low in popularity, like between 6 and 12%. I don't really think that this race is about me or Lisa. I really think it's about Alaska and America. So if we just get the same voters who turned out for President Trump or for Dan Sullivan, we win decidedly on round one, regardless of the ranking scenario. Gotcha. Gotcha. And to the extent somebody doesn't get 50%, um, you say it basically goes down and takes your second choice, your third choice until somebody gets above 50. Kind of. So let's say it goes number one is Kelly, number two is the Democrat, number three is Lisa, number four is the Libertarian. That's how the polls look right now. The Libertarian would drop off. And then everybody's number two votes for the Libertarian get reallocated to the top three. Got it. And then they see if someone crosses 50%. Got it. That'll uh, that'll be interesting. Well, Kelly, I really appreciate you coming on the uh, the podcast. The uh, folks in Texas, my audience is primarily oil and gas folks. And so I know there have been some issues with Senator Murkowski, particularly when it comes to uh, voting to approve the interior secretary. I mean, just, I I am generally of the mindset, elections matter. Uh, you should vote to approve the president's pick, but at some point you got to draw a line. And I think most of us in the oil and gas business kind of feel like that should have been one of the lines we draw. It's an obvious line to draw. And so I could really use help. My big challenge up here is just name recognition. The Murkowskis have been there for 40 years. So we have to get out to the state. We have to get out media to let people know that there's an option. So please help me at kelly4ak.com, K-E-L-L-Y-F-O-R-A-K.com. And we can change out that Senate seat for a dependable America first, energy first vote. The uh, the last thing I'll close on is I have been to Homer, Alaska. I went and uh, spent four days over July 4th, probably about five years ago, four years ago, went into a bar, may or may not have had one too many adult beverages. I walked outside at two in the morning. It was still bright light and I swore yep. off vodka for a whole year. Well, Homer is one of the most beautiful parts of the state. But yes, when it's the midsummer here, the sun does not go down. So that was not because you consume too much. That's just a reality. <laughs> yeah. And it's fantastic. We have so much energy and so much fun in the summer. You all must come visit. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was amazing. I can't imagine being there in the winter, but the summer was beautiful. So. Appreciate your time, yeah, Kelly. Lots of opportunities. Thank you so much. And it's great to talk to your audience and I hope to be back.